welcome to Beautiful Possibility, the creative process journal of Jillian Jacob Kieser. That's me. I created this for all stuck, hopeful, and aspiring creatives everywhere. You are not alone. The truth is, perfectionism grabbed me sometime in adolescence and halted my creative journey for many years. Today, my desire to create is stronger than my fear. So I created this podcast as my day-to-day account of getting unstuck and into motion. In this audio journal, I'll take you along on my process of unblocking and relearning how to find joy, courage, and fulfillment in creating. I always say the only place to start is exactly where you are. So let's begin. Hello, everyone. On this episode of Beautiful Possibility, we are very, very lucky. We have one of my favorite people in the world, an amazing creative person in his own right. He is the founder, creator of an awesome comedy troupe called The Dress Up Gang, and they had their own web show for a while. It was on TBS, had its own success, which I'm sure we'll get into and talk about. He's a writer, a gifted stand-up comic, and a good friend of mine, Corey Lacosic. Hey, Corey. Hey, Jillian. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I love talking about creativity with you. Every time we talk on the phone, we end up coming back to the topic of writing and creative process and all that stuff. So I'm just excited to get to kind of capture some of that and get into a little bit more of your process and what we can all learn from you. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited as well. I love all our conversations. It's funny. I got your, some of the questions you sent me in advance to think about, and it is like, uh, gets real heady real quick. Oh yeah. Trying to understand yourself as you're also trying to do these other things. No, but that's, I think that's what makes it interesting. And that's where the, a lot of the insight comes is like trying to unpack that stuff and see patterns are in my experience, sometimes telling the story, I, I catch things that if I just sat and thought about it by myself, I wouldn't have figured out. So let's just start. Okay. So tell me about your creative journey. What were your creative beginnings and how did you get to where you are now? Well, I was thinking, you know, when I was in high school, I don't remember ever thinking too far ahead about what I wanted to do. I was a cartoonist for the school paper. I was in school plays. I always liked to like write stories. You know, I was always, I think, really intrigued by like worlds that can be created. You know, when I was a kid, I was really into like Disney movies, but less the movie itself, more just the worlds they're creating. I think I like drawing for that reason. And I just kept pivoting to different things. It's funny when I think back, I just don't remember thinking about much. I just liked to do all these things. And so I liked to draw. Then I went to college, got really into playing music for a couple of years. And then I started making short films with a friend, Rob Boardman from home. And I think that felt really good because you could combine music with, I mean, I guess comedy was the through line through all of it, just different ways to try to be funny. And I think usually just different ways to try to make your friends laugh. And Settled on making some shorts. And then I started doing stand-up in San Francisco, kind of on a lark. Just had this idea for a character we thought would be funny to do stand-up with. So Rob and I went down to this open mic and did it and then had fun. So I did it again. A couple of years into that, we'd made a bunch of short films. And that's when I started thinking like, okay, I really enjoyed doing this. And I feel like we are making stuff that's funny. And it's starting to feel kind of unique enough or we're finding something that feels good here. And that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe doing this in a professional way or trying to move to LA in some real capacity would make sense. And even that was kind of pragmatic. It was like, well, 
what's worth dedicating your life to. If it's music, I can always play music by myself in my garage. I don't need to go commit my life to it. I can draw by myself. I can do stand up in any city, but to make videos takes a lot of time. You have to really to film, edit, to get a crew involved. I was like, I think I would have to do that professionally to ever really do it. And so that was why I kind of moved down with Rob and Donnie, the two guys I work with, to try to really see like, okay, let's go see what we can do down there and where we fit into the landscape. I love what you said about building off of just trying to make your friends laugh in high school. I feel like that's that's something that I know is true about you and in all the times that we've spent together with all of our extended friends. Like, like I'm picturing one time when we were at Burning Man and you did like a random stand-up set. We were just out running around one day. And like it was like maybe two hours long. And everyone, you were enjoying it, we were enjoying it, and like everyone was in their element. And it just felt so pure. Like here's someone who loves doing this. And it felt like just super circular. Like you were vibing off with what we were reacting to, creating new stuff on the fly, weaving stuff in and out, bringing back like these little comebacks. And it was, it was just so much fun. Like I could tell that this was something that you were, you were really plugged into the process. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, I, I know the time you're talking about. I think actually back on that a lot. I'll think of that afternoon as like, okay, that's what I love to do. Or when I feel the most kind of in the flow of whatever that creative thing is, that's the raw version of it. But what I love about that is the exchange. It's like the back and forth of it. And that's what I like about stand-up. What's been a little harder about videos because you don't have that back and forth in real time. Yeah. I think for me, it's always been a lot of... I like the back and forth and I like comedy as a way to make sure all my friends and I are having a great time or the people you're in the room with, you can bring a positive vibe to the environment. Less so than a a lot of my friends who are doing what I do. For them, it's a lot more like their personal story coming out. I think I need to share like their personal experience with the world. And I think for me, it's almost the reverse. Yeah. It's so interesting to see people who are like in the same or similar space doing seemingly similar work, but the intention behind it is totally different. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot with the work that I'm starting to do. And it's like what you're talking about of like it feeling really different when you have that live interactive piece. Like I started doing my work one-on-one coaching and like now I'm trying to like kind of translate that into one-to-many like recorded version that yeah. is has been an interesting creative challenge. Cause like, how do you capture what's the spark? Are you using the live stuff as kind of like research and development? to be able to create the stuff that you can share more easily or like, what's that been like for you? I guess. Okay. Well, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because also the way we made stuff was with my friends. So I went to high school with Rob who I write and direct with and Donnie's one of my best friends and I write and act with him. And then the whole TV show we made was based on a web series that we shot in my house and the other two characters in it lived in the house. So it was all just of our, it was a way for our friends to get together and and make stuff. And then when we made the TV show, that translated really well. I was like, "What a dream come true!" I'm, and all the stories are about our friends. And this project we're working on now, it will be the same. It'll be about this group of friends, but our lives have all kind of gone different directions, and everyone's now busy with their own careers and stuff. And so the writing process has been a lot more hunkering down with Rob and Donnie and. Um, not able to tap into that friendship as readily day to day to write and get excited about. I'm going to have to put a lot more of myself into this character for this story. 
And it's, it's hard to write about myself. I think it's not intuitive to me to like, try to figure out what am I, who am I, what would me as a character say in this situation? I can do that reactively. If we think about a story or something and well, here's what I would probably say or what my reaction would be, but to try to like articulate it, like these pitch meetings, Jesus Christ, like to pitch these shows, you have to try to explain who are you and who is this character? And it's just hard for me to do. And so I guess to tackle that, I've been trying to spend more time looking at videos of us as friends and pictures and making the writing process be a little more like story time and remembering fun memories to get us excited and re-inspired. Because really the group part of it is the whole, at least on the projects we've done so far, really what gets me excited about it. I love that. And I, I think that someone who's like seen a lot of your work and has hung out with you a lot as a friend, the work is very reminiscent of the energy that you bring to real life. I know that that's super hard and I feel like you've done a really good job of capturing that. I don't know, very, it's hard to write casual friendship, not casual, but like actual friendship. That stuff is so, it's so intimate and it's so nuanced. And like, there's so much unspoken that adds to the energy of like relationships. And I feel like you've amazingly like done an excellent job of, of really capturing what that energy feels like in a different form. Well, good. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, because I, what you're always afraid of is it can be so indulgent because you're like, I love these people and I love this thing that happened. But if we're not careful, it can just be something that we find special. But everyone else is like, yeah, I got my own friends. I don't need to like <laughs> watch you guys be friends on screen. I am um, a long time ago when we were maybe in high school and college, my brother and I wrote, we wrote a screenplay, I think. And we thought it was so funny. Like, you know, my brother, you know, we have yeah. very similar sense of humor. And so we're like, this is going to be great. And we sat down, we wrote it. It was full of jokes. We were like, this is the funniest thing either of us have ever seen. We showed it to who you would think would be the most accommodating, appreciative audience, our parents, right? And they were like, this is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> How long had you worked on it? Like a long time. <laughs> uh, like probably a couple of weeks. They were like, don't quit your day jobs, guys. <laughs> although, although here you guys are, you're both doing great. Know, well, you know. Doing creative stuff. I mean, I think back to a lot of stuff I made back then, and there's like this blissful ignorance to one's own skill level where you're like, that was it's it made it was good enough that it made me try to do it again. And I got excited about it. But when I look back at those, I'm like, eh. I think there's that there's something in there, right? That's like do something that is gonna make you delighted and then like don't show it to anyone unless they're gonna be like, keep going. It's great, keep going. Even if it's not objectively great. But the point is that it's enough that it like energizes you to do the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's where like the greatness might be is like further down the practice road, but like you can't stop at the first one. No. And, 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 you know, last night I was talking to a friend who's a really successful comedian and he's just now starting to paint. And he sent me over some pictures of his paintings. And I mean, I think they're great. And what we were talking about, though, is like with some with a new art form, we're just really noticing this or he's noticing this. But just talking about that. Yeah, these aren't amazing paintings or yeah, these aren't whatever. But you can still see something in there that you're like, oh, that is there's something there. Like a raw musician who's new might not have a song that's like a symphony or really interesting. But sometimes you can still detect the like, oh, right there, something that was a real moment right there or something's happening. And I think trying to locate those moments and notice when they happen and let those encourage you to do the next one. 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I edited my first video ever. I think you saw it. Yeah. I've never done anything like that. And I didn't expect it to be good. It actually surprised me that it was better. Like I actually liked it. I had a really fun time making it and I was laughing the whole day. I was so amused. And I was like, I don't care if anybody thinks this is funny. I think it was funny. And even though it wasn't that great, there were a couple little moments, like you're saying, where I'm like, okay, that was exactly how I pictured it being. I was able to execute the thing that I thought of. And that felt so good. And it was just enough that I was like, oh, I already have 300 ideas for how I want to do the next one. And like maybe the a year from now, they'll actually be much better. But it was certainly enough to keep me inspired and be like, okay, keep going, keep going. And it's good that you had fun doing it because that's something I struggle with is when you, the more you do the process over and over again, you start to anticipate the hard parts right at the beginning or you start to, I start to wince from the pain I know is coming. And so I have to remind myself like, wait, this is fun. I'm doing art or this is comedy. Like, but I have to remind myself kind of the more I, the more I do it. What are other things like that where you feel like now that you're more entrenched in the work that you do and the processes, like, are there other like mantras or like things you have in your back pocket where you're like, oh yeah, every time this happens, I just know to do this. Or like, I know to not think about this until whenever, whatever the little hacks that you've developed for your own brain. Yeah. For my own brain, I've noticed, I used to think that every writer had to sit down by themselves and type and that that's what writing is. And I have a good friend who's a novelist and that's what he does. And he's got an incredible work ethic. And so I see that and be like, well, okay. Yeah. That's what I should be able to do. Then I remember Maya Angelou and Dave Chappelle had an iconoclast interview where they compared artistic processes. And he was like, oh, I can't do that. She writes like that, you know, isolates herself. And he's like, oh, I need to be at a party or I need to be out in the world to write. And I remember being like, oh, that's an answer. Cause yes, that's how I feel like a shark in water. I got to be moving to like have new ideas. And so, you know, this, just this last couple of months, we've been trying to work on this pilot and I just have been struggling to write, not just cause it's zoom, but in the group arena and just being like, go connect. I need my gut to be aligned with what I'm doing to feel in it. And so for me, that's been a lot of like, okay, go by myself and just listen to music or go by myself and just laugh about the potential of what this could become and then come back to the craft of it. But really needing to reconnect with the initial inspiration for it a lot. And when I get off of doing that, it's when I get in my head and I can't feel the project anymore. And then I start to realize I'm not liking the the whole direction it's taking. And then I have to just reorient. But some more solo time for me. And also just realizing that writing, going to a party could be writing or hanging out with friends could be writing and often is like how I get more tap. You know what? I guess it comes down to the better I feel and the more in my own vibe and mojo I feel, then the better everything else flows. And as like a very extroverted friend oriented person, it means more friend time. It means more socializing time. I love the way that you put that. It's like that you need to tap into whatever makes you feel like you are alive, very in line with your own, like, personal code or whatever that is. I've felt the same and like, I can write by myself, but it has to spark from a conversation. So like I have a conversation with you or another friend or like anyone where we're like riffing on process or creativity or anything like that. And I'll say something and usually hear someone like someone else will respond to it. And it'll give me a new insight about what it meant when I said it, or like, I didn't realize that that was something 
only I thought about in that way or whatever it was. And then I'm like, oh, I have lots more to say about that. Let me go off and like capture what I just said to a person. But I can't just come up with it out of the blue sitting by myself because I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm so familiar with everything in my own brain already. That's a good way to put it. It doesn't spark. It's happened a million times where I'll say a thought or story that's I've thought about a million times and someone will say, oh, is that stand-up? That'd be a good material for your set. And I'll think, oh, I didn't even didn't even occur to me that that's funny or something until I said it out loud, heard it back. Because, yeah, you become too familiar with it. Or like even in the process of explaining it, for me, I'll unfold more parts of it and in an, in an order because I have to explain it to someone and I have to see in the whites of their eyes that they got what I said. There's a certain way I'll intuitively lay it out that I wouldn't have thought of if I was just writing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have yeah, to make sure it goes over the chasm. Yeah. yeah. The way I was just thinking about that when you said it is, if the whole point of a, well, stand-up's pretty direct, right? You're trying to tell a joke, maybe a story a little different, but it's kind of similar in that I can, in my head, make it get confusing or I'll try to do this. Or I've had a million stand-up sets where I'll start to tell a joke. I can tell it's not landing. And then I'll just go, okay, look, what I mean is, isn't it this, that this, that this? And then they go, oh, now I see what you mean. And somehow by having the audience and needing to connect with them in real time, you're forced to just make that connection. What you just did is what the art is supposed to be doing. Whereas by yourself, it's easy to get off and just kind of like meandering. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have in my work work, like I have the same thing where like, I'll be putting together something that's a presentation, but until I can actually present it, like practice it with someone, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then when I say it to a real human person, I'm like, oh, yep, that's the talk track. Here's how I explain it. These have to change order. And great. Now we've we've got it dialed in. And like in software, they sometimes call that rubber ducking. Like you need Mm. someone to talk to, even if it's literally a rubber ducky on your desk to explain it to somebody. Oh, I love that. Now I get it. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Even I remember my therapist once was like, have you tried just talking to yourself to get that across? And I was like, oh no. And now I often just drive. Sometimes if I'm feeling stuck, I'll just cruise around, listen to music, talk to myself. And sometimes that really works, you know, just to hear your own voice back. I love that. Honestly, when I started this podcast, that's sort of what it was, was just like me processing the day-to-day insights and moments of like stuff I was stuck on or stuff I had just figured out that helped me get unstuck. I'm like, let me just talk for seven minutes and capture this. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if you're like me, but I can get very, things just swirl in my head, but I'm more of an external thinker. Like it's easier for me to think out loud, hear how it sounded and make it feel real then evaluate it. So finding ways to kind of do that and sitting by myself in a quiet library is like not going to do that. Oh yeah. hundred percent. One of my lines I'm famous for saying is like, let me say this to you. And then I'll tell you if I think it's true at the end of it, you know, like, I don't know if I believe the thing I'm going to say, but I have to say it and then I'll yeah. be able to like parse it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, cause it's all a balance, right? So as soon as I say that now I'm thinking the flip side is I've been having great success lately, only in the past, maybe like two months. Where when I sit down to type, to write, I really try to, if I can 100% focus on that process. So I've been pulling my blinds shut lately, making the room dark and just sitting in there. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, it's so counterintuitive, especially in LA where it's so pretty, it feels sacrilegious. But if I can just kind of focus on and then let that external thinking happen on paper and let the writing be very meandering and know I can edit it later. Sometimes I'm like, well... Actually, that was pretty productive too. And I could really focus. It just requires a lot of a lot of focus. And you asked me in advance of 
like mantras too. And I was thinking about it. And a big one is just, I've noticed like anything that feels indulgent is hard for me to want to do. Cause it's like, who am I? You know, but when you do this stuff, you have to treat yourself like an athlete because when your mental acuity is all you're bringing to the table, I really notice when it's wavering. And when I'm just on vacation or hanging out, I don't really pay attention to it. But I notice when we're doing these long days of writing where it's like, if I didn't sleep right, if I was drinking, if I, or sometimes if I'm feeling too serious, maybe I'll have a little hit of weed or something to kind of balance it out. I have my little strategies for managing my own brain but you have to be really in touch with it. Um, and so making myself do that, but also giving myself the permission to not feel like a diva about certain parts of that. You know, I just acted on this show last week. It was like my first acting thing on a show that wasn't ours on a big lot. You know, there's like a lot of nerves going into it. And the other actor I was in the scene with was like, took a nap. He didn't eat carbs because he didn't want to be tired in the afternoon. He was like working out in between scenes to make his arms bigger because his character needed that. All these things that I would be self-conscious to do because it feels kind of indulgent or something. But I'm like, that's the job. So like you need to embrace whatever the job is. And in that case, if it's acting, take care of your body, take a nap. That's what you're here for. And yeah, in a way it's comedy, indulgent yeah. to do anything other than taking optimal care of yourself. Yeah, right. I, yeah, to reframe it, it is. Maybe it's with this specific stuff between, I don't know, maybe you just hear all the diva stereotypes coming into this industry and want to make sure you're not doing that. But there's just amount of self-care that to bring anything to the table, you have to really embrace that. I think I'm only now recently getting better about being aware of it. Well, I think it's interesting. Two times in the conversation you've mentioned, like encountering other people as examples of something that as soon as you saw it or heard it, you're like, oh, that's true. Like the Dave Chappelle writing yeah. example, and then this actor that you were in the scene with. And I think that that can be such a powerful part of creative growth, finding these touchstones, these people who will like expand something open for you. And you're like, oh, all of a sudden I have a whole new way of doing this because I just had to see it once to almost feel like you had permission to do it in that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's true. And I, I though kind of wonder if, if I was just better at listening to myself and trusting that than just to minimize the need to wait till other people kind of demonstrate that. I feel sometimes I can have a unhealthy balance of that where I'm like, I know what I need. You know, I need to do a better job of sticking to that or something. But no, you're right. I mean, it's really helpful too with so many different types of artists around me and my community just to compare processes. Also, because when you do it on your own, you don't know what's normal. I ask every writer, how many hours in a row do you write? Because a writer's room is six hours, eight hours. It's a whole day. It's a lot. I've done them. And you're kind of looking around thinking, I know I'm not feeling it right now. Are we all pretending? Is anyone feeling it? It's three in the afternoon. Are we really all vibing? I and think there's, I think there's also a difference between like the part of it that is commerce driven. And it's like, well, yes. we've got this network green light and we've got this deadline and we've got all this money. And so like, we're going to be here for eight hours because we yep. have to produce X amount of content. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's whenever I want to use the well, I'm not inspired right now. I'm not feeling it kind of excuse. It is an excuse because I mean, there is a time when you're just totally feeling it and it's effortless, but you can also still be really productive when you're not feeling that. And oftentimes you can unlock getting into that state if you just force yourself to sit down and write or, you know, whatever your art form. Yeah. As an example, I've been working on this book. I started in two months ago and I had like a burst of energy that started it, right? Like wrote a bunch outlined it. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. 
And then was like starting to work on it in little spurts and kind of lost the thread and was like, this is spiraling out to be this big project I can't conceive of anymore. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, I, I really want to create this and finish it and have it be a thing. I started joining this thing called Cave Day. I don't know if you know what this is. Mm-hmm. It's basically a Zoom sprint with a bunch of strangers who all silently work on whatever they're working on together for an hour. So you join, everyone says hi, and then they ring a bell and everyone goes on mute. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So it's like this, you're being witnessed doing work, but like, that's all, it's just this accountability of like, we're all here and it starts at this time and it ends at this time. For me, the project had become this thing where I was like, I need a whole day to just put post-its all over the wall and like get a beautiful mind about it. And that was never happening. And like, once I started just being like, cool, I'm going to work on it for an hour in the morning just see how far I get. I was making crazy progress. Yes. And I started to see like an hour of actual focus truly is, it was, it's enough for me. Like I'm, I'm plodding my way through this and I'm going to finish it. And I wouldn't have told you before I started doing this when you're kind of distracted an hour is hardly anything to get your head around something. But when you take one minute to, you know, like drink your tea, move your fit, like, and get your head back in where you left off, then you have like 58 minutes to actually Right. Or do whatever you're doing. Yeah. And like, I was amazed at how powerful it was. Yeah. Thinking about it in terms of hours is so misleading because you could put in a full day's work in two hours if you are really focused. We've been trying to do a better job of that as a trio because we're friends. We can just catch ourselves joking around or indulging little things. And lately we've been like, we need to pretend we have like kids that have a soccer game at three we have to get to, you know, and just pretend because <laughs> we would get this done in time if we had stuff going on. We just, let it fill all the time we have. Yeah. It's gotta be hard when you're like, you can, so the the line is, is a little blendy between socializing, but like in your defense, everything that you're joking around about is potential material or inspiration or just like, it's going to spark something later. So, and you know, and I don't know what the best approach is, but one of those other, like seeing how other people do things that sparked me was there's that South Park documentary on their process. And they only give themselves six days to write and edit a whole, every episode, which is insane. And they were saying that the reason was they often get writer's block from just the options. There's just too many options. And so by knowing they only have a few days, they have to just kind of pick one and roll. That's something that we do a lot where, I mean, we've had months to write this thing. So you go, oh, what if it's better this way or this way, or if this character is in and it becomes like infinite possibility. And then it's just kind of hard to focus. Yeah. yeah. I've been thinking about that all the time lately about like how infinite art is that every yeah. decision you make is also the 100,000 decisions you could have made at that juncture and didn't. So like it can be very overwhelming, all the different possibilities. And I recently heard a podcast produced by Emily Sheehan, who's a playwright. This episode blew me away. I sent her a message about it. I'm hoping to have her on the show. But she's talking about the process of finishing work. And she gives this example of like the exercise you do in elementary school where you walk halfway across the room and then halfway again and halfway again until you're like, there's only once any small step and you've completed the thing. And so she's talking about how like the first draft is like, you've done all this work, like you've created something from nothing. The second draft is just as hard, but there's not as much visible change. And the third draft, there's even less. And at a certain point, you're not making it better. You're just changing it until you finally have to just call it done. Right, right. Yeah. I just love that so much. I love it. Does she, she's a playwright. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to think. It's just, I'm trying to compare that to uh, the way we write where it's like, 
it often does feel, yeah, I guess some version of that. And then also sometimes it just does lock in and you're like, oh, that's, you can feel in your bones when it hasn't been smoothed over, right? Or there's just something about this scene that's not necessary, or I can't put my finger on it. That nagging feeling, once those are gone, then I'm good. It's when they're present that I'm like, ah, there's something to fix here. I can't figure it out. But but then, yeah, all the details or that joke versus that joke. That's a big one is like, is that funnier or that funny? Well, maybe they're both funny. Just who cares? That's got to be really hard because it's like you say the word over and over and you don't know what it means. Like I can imagine that happening with jokes so oh bad. God. Dude, like the, the premise, because there's a fine line between funny and stupid. And so it's sometimes the idea feels, you know, we were, when we wrote our show, we caught ourselves luckily, but we would spend the morning writing, brainstorming. And then the afternoon after lunch, we'd come back and, and we would often then read what we wrote in the morning and think, ah, it's kind of stupid or it's been done or whatever. Next morning, come back into work. No, wait, that was funny. And we're like, oh, wait, it's the afternoon. We're tired. And like nothing feels as good. And we need to be aware of that. That's why we made that choice, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm in the process of writing this book and like, you know, stopping, putting the date and then coming back the next day and picking it back up. Like I'm reading stuff that I wrote weeks ago that I totally forgot about. And I'm reading it with fresh eyes as if, you know, like, I don't know what I'm, what it's going to say. And I read it and I go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Or like, this is a bad way of explaining this. I was tired when I wrote this, but finding the gem of something where you're like, no, I, I really like this. Good job yesterday, me. Yeah. And you know, do you find this when I reread something like that? For instance, if I'm trying to touch up a script that say I wrote two days ago when I was inspired and now I want to add to it, I've learned like, don't mess with the inspired version of me. He saw something that me in this state can't really like improve on, I don't think. And I've noticed that really with music. If I try to write a song, stop halfway and come back to it two weeks later, I just, I lost the, whatever was making that happen the first time through. And so I've also tried to become aware, like, like the way a surfer just has to catch the waves and the waves come in. Last night at 10, I caught a wave and I stayed up to like 1231 writing it out. Cause I was like, these don't come all the time and I'm just going to sit in this. And it felt really good. And really trying to respect that gift of inspiration and not be able to expect that I can improve on it later. Sometimes I was going to ask you yeah, when you're writing or working on this podcast, any art project I work on, say, say you're writing something about medieval times, you're going to start walking around the world, noticing things through the lens of whatever that would bring to the table, working on the projects that you're working on and then going about your day and encountering your friends and you know, your daughter and these things. How have you noticed or what do you like about the process or the filter it's putting on the world for you? Or what are you noticing yourself snagging out of the everyday experience that maybe five years ago you wouldn't have noticed? Or does that question resonate? No, it totally resonates. And I think it's actually the reverse. This was the stuff that was my filter walking around every day already. Anyway. Everyone I talked to, my friends, my colleagues, like people I coach, like this was the topic it would always circle around. It's like, I love to talk about process. This is the stuff that people would come to me to talk about. And like, just that lens of like getting inside the brain and that like awkward, iterative courage, weird, we don't know what's happening space. Like I love that ambiguous space. And so like, I was thinking about this stuff all the time anyway, and starting to do this project, it was like finally the way to capture it and like let it move through me instead of getting stuck inside me until I talk to about. So like, it's felt really good to be able to like release it. And I have this idea of like a creative metabolism that I'm writing about. That's just like, 
when you catch the flow, it's like, you have to let it come out. Even if you're not going to write the song, like you have to go do something to let that stuff move through you and like keep that flow going. And this, the project, the Instagram, the podcast, the writing has been my way of processing these insights I'm getting and connections I'm making and conversations I'm having in a way that like, you're turning them into like little uh, stones on a path, almost like as I'm going. And that, that feels so good because it means that other people can pick them up, use them to build their own path or do whatever they want, build off of them and like have conversations about it. That's like felt so awesome. Yeah. That reminds me that something I often think about, right. When I talk to people that are new to LA trying to start out that, you know, we got to make a TV show. That is a dream come true, right? That's exactly what you're hoping to do. And I should feel a lot of, I mean, that does bring me joy, but the minute it was over, the next day is still just like another day. Like the high doesn't carry over. And I also don't watch the show. I don't even, it's like once every six months, I'll like watch half an episode or something. So it, it just reminded me like, it truly is about the process of it. Like it has to be that that's what brings you the joy of it or the deeper satisfaction from it, because the end result of it is kind of like, whatever, you know, I don't even really revisit it that often, but I love the process of doing it. Now that we're writing this thing, I'm loving this process and everything it's bringing up as hard as it can be, but I know it feels like worthwhile, but I know that if we make it and film it, I'll watch it three times and be done with it, you know? I love that. I think that's actually a really beautiful place to close on the importance of loving the process and being engaged as an artist in what that day-to-day experience and fulfillment that can bring you. When it forces you to really listen to your intuitions in a, in a cool way, even this little breakthrough I had in a script recently was like uh, sensing this problem, but not articulating it to myself. And then finally, just when I was able to see it straight on and address it, like, oh, that's the feeling that's missing from this. Then I was able to encounter it, kind of attack it, work through it. And now that it's kind of fixed, it's like, I just feel clean inside. It's like the process of having to listen to yourself really intensely is kind of, it's like meditative or something, or it feels, I get something out of that process. Isn't being an artist awesome? (laughs) (laughs) It's no, I really, it does give you like a, this interesting connection point to life, right? Like you're working stuff out because you have this, like it's the lens through which you're processing stuff in your life, understanding yourself, understanding how your mind works and like moving energy around in like a very powerful way. Yeah. And like, to yeah, especially if it's what you kind of find yourself doing anyway, then giving it a home and a craft to, to work through. Yeah. I love that. Corey, thanks so much for being on the show. This has been such a delight and a pleasure as always. I know the time flew. I loved it too. I love you. I love you too. I miss you. I miss you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Jen. Thank you so much for walking this creative path with me. I'm so grateful to be learning with you. If you like the show, I'd love for you to share it with a fellow creative and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. For more day-to-day support and inspiration, join our growing creative community on Instagram at beautiful underscore possibility. The show is hosted by me, Jillian Jacob Kieser, and edited by Abby Circatella. The theme music is from Candelion. Until next time, just keep going. Keep going.